Mike Dyson is an amazing uh, rite of passage facilitator, uh, Chinese medicine guru, and all around great bloke. His organisation, Good Blokes Co, uh, facilitates camps, experiences, rite of passage experiences for father sons, um, people on their buxes, um, and anyone um, in schools who want to create a, a making of men program uh, or making of women program or anything like that. He's an all-round great bloke. Um, we facilitated a couple of rite of passage camps together and he's just an amazing guy. You can see his energy, it just so naturally energises you. Um, he speaks quite loud, we're gonna have to probably adjust the tone on the, on the microphones. But listen in if you're interested around this transition into manhood, if you're a father, um, if you're a young man um, becoming into, stepping into fatherhood, how do you manage family, friends, relationships, um, and then being a new uh, father, how do you manage that? So he has a few conversations like that. And he's, you believe it or not, he's 44, he looks about 33. Um, but it's a cool way around how you can keep that balancing act. So tune in, listen up to Mike, amazing guy. Mike Dyson. We're on. Good to see you, mate. Yeah, yeah, here we are. We've been yarning for a while. We have. And, uh, and now we're kind of in the confines. We haven't really had too many yarns inside. Yeah. yeah, we've done a lot of yarning, you know, out in the bush, under a tree, around the fire. It's pretty special. Good place for Not yarn. too many people get to yarn, like, at that volume like we do. Yeah, yeah. Not pitch, but the volume of in the bush. The depth. The depth, the yeah, deep yeah. yarns. It's a privilege. It is, it is. And so we first met, we did that, we met online, um, and we met before Yakura when we did the Making Men program. Yeah. So, right, we're... You're a very senior, experienced rite of passage facilitator, and you just come from uh, to Christchurch Grammar School. You kind yep. of lead your help as a mentor and facilitator of their experience on Quincy Drive. Yep. Do you want to do you mind sharing a bit with everyone around? You know, it's a big question, but what is rite of passage and how yep. you kind of how that's kind of taking up a bit more of your life now? Yeah. So there's rites of passage programs happening all over Australia. So, like you mentioned, the program we that I support the team in at Christchurch to run their Year 9 on Queensley Drive programs. Part of their Year 9 Making of Men program is a three-week thing where the boys move into the boarding house, uh, 24 boys at a time, each, each sort of house group, uh, and they have a whole bunch of you know, self-exploration style sort of workshops around the difference between a boy and a man, what is a good man, what does a healthy man look like, what's my identity, what are my relationships looking like, what's my purpose spreads over the three weeks. There's a father-son weekend, there's a mother-son sort of connection day involved and I, um, I get involved with the father-son component and a couple of the workshops and I support Jared and the staff there who are running a, an amazing program. Mm -hmm. But, but there's, there's other kind of rites of passage programs that are happening all over. So programs around the Rites of Passage Institute uh, where we'll get you know, 24 boys and 24 dads coming from all over Australia and international as well. Uh, for a, a week-long camp in the bush talking some serious men's business and trying to create and, and really celebrate that transition that the boys are going through around that age of uh, you know, 15, 16, 17. Uh, and then I run some by myself with Good Blokes COVID, smaller, smaller groups, father and son kind of groups wanting to really connect with their, their boys and guide their boys to, to the healthiest, happiest, most, most kind of thriving versions of, of themselves. So. 
I think it's a real good summary of, yeah. of what it is. And I think the beauty of it, like you mentioned, the, the whole kind of wraparound me, yeah, I'm connected with Christchurch, that's why community grew me. Yeah. And um, and that's how I became aware of the Rite of Passage program. Yeah. I kind of was like, you know, I hadn't really engaged with the school too much and I heard about this Making of Men program. Mm -hmm. I got asked to come in and talk as, that old, as a past boy, um, as a graduate um, old boy. And, uh, and I just, wow, this is, impressive actually having these conversations because I've heard like in the work I've done in some of the indigenous communities you've got this law program mm -hmm. like program law that's been going for millennia yeah. from the transition from boyhood or girl into woman boy and the man um, this transition but as a non-aboriginal what is that you know what is that like how do I know I'm a man and you know mentors in the past have told me you know this idea of what law is has evolved in young boys why well, I guess Anna teaches it in his leadership trainings is like they find ways to try to justi justify that transition so some of the what are the things that you've seen over time that young boys are doing that are kind of somewhat destructive behaviors is that transition into into manhood yeah yeah so there, there's a there's actually an African proverb that goes if we don't initiate our boys into manhood they'll burn down the village just to feel the heat and the, the last part of that is a really interesting kicker. It's like just to feel the heat. And, and most people know what that feels like, that burning sort of fire of adolescence that causes us to, you know, who am I? Who am I becoming? What's my sense of power and responsibility in the world? And, you know, if, we, if we're not creating our uh, spaces for our young guys to feel really challenged as, we, as they step up, then they'll create different ways of doing it themselves, whether that's with alcohol or whether that's doing stupid stuff in cars or or just going to the pub and trying to get into fights and mm. all the sort of unhealthy behavior you see on school leavers there's you know your listeners can probably think of totally all of their own examples of what that of what that looks like and the idea is that a, a right to, a rite of passage is a is a need to celebrate transitions in our life that's why we have elaborate we elaborate weddings that's why we mark a funeral. That's, they're all rite of passage processes, but mm. we just, in our modern culture, we don't have really thought out conscious processes for young people becoming adults. So, you know, if we don't provide a really thoughtful way of having those conversations and getting them to think about and talk about and share with their community, who am I becoming and what's my identity now? They will try and find their own ways of, of exploring stuff and yeah. challenging themselves. Yeah, and then that sometimes that can be uh, you know grow that individual, um, but if not, sometimes in a like a safe environment, it actually can end up exposing them to making decisions that affect themselves for the rest of their lives. Totally. Driving cars, getting yep. an accident, drink driving, getting pulled over by the cops, or even worse, hurting someone else. Yep. Yourself and losing a limb, all these different things that can happen. And it's, you know, and I think that's where the, the need of this work is so crucial. And have, are you finding that, um, one of these interesting things that when I first heard about you was actually you're facilitating this for boxes that even. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. like, you know, I put my hat on a couple of years ago and still today I get invited to boxes and it's like, oh, you know, what's happening? I want to get heaps of beers, potentially get drugs potentially, yeah. and we get strippers. Yeah. Oh, great, is that what we're, you know, that's how we celebrate uh, a man sort of wedding the most important person in his life. It's like, well, I'm pretty sure we can do better than that, you know? <laughs> where's, where's the conversations that we're having with our mates around, you know, what do I want marriage to look like? What, what kind of marriage do I want to have? How do I want to stay connected to my mates and still be, build a rich, beautiful family with my, with my lover, you know, with this person that I deeply love, rather than, you know, some weird sort of distorted s celebration of, of this dying part of freedom in myself it's like 
yeah, I think there's, there's, there's better ways of doing it. Yeah, so you've been doing this a bit with a couple buses, you facilitate this? Yeah, yeah, some buses and mates camps. I did another one recently this year for a guy who was about to become a dad for the first time and he got all of his mates together. We went out bush and we had all these conversations around fatherhood. And a couple of guys there had sort of chosen not to become fathers. Uh, a couple of guys there were fathers of small kids and there were three guys on the camp who were just about to become dads. And they were just sucking up all the information they could from everyone else. They're just having these conversations yeah. that we're just, we're just not making space for yeah. this, particularly for, for men having mm. those conversations around, you know, what, what, what do I think is going to be hard in yeah. fatherhood? What, yeah. what kind of father do I want to be? What was my relationship with my father like? And how can I really uh, play to the strengths that I have and also avoid the stuff that I want to um, avoid? And how can I really get that support from each other? How can I get my mates really having my back and knowing what I'm trying to achieve. Mm. And I guess hearing that, I've kind of in, you know, incorporated into some of the, my experiences more currently around my bucks. like one of my mates who's getting married in the next you know, six months, instead of the bucks, we're doing it a bit of an adventure. Yeah. And then also the second thing, he hasn't had a father figure his whole life. Yeah. So he's got brought up with a single mother and he's had a, he hasn't had that father figure. So what we're doing is it's just a basic way, but actually we're going to have a you know a week before the wedding a circle of men of of like people of his mates who had father figures yep. have a dinner, sit around the table, and have a real feast. But then actually go around and the dads can talk about what it's like becoming a married man. Yeah, beautiful, so good. So sick. particularly for that guy who hasn't had that experience, like and how and you know I think a lot of guys just aren't having conversations with older men. Yeah. Like how, how many of us really get a chance to sit down and go, oh, what's retirement like? What's being a good grandfather like? It's like, I'm not having those conversations on a regular basis. And I sit down with men all the time. Yeah, yeah. it's cool. And I, I, there's so much wisdom out there. And one of the, the first conversations we had this morning um, with Neil Fong, he talks about this whole, um, oh, what was it? The inter-aged care facilities. There's yeah. a, um, oh, what do they call it? A research um, uh, inquiry into aged care facilities. Mm -hmm. And he's saying one of the highest rates of suicide, the highest rates of suicide in our society is in aged care facilities. Yeah. Because um, there was that lack of purpose and that connection. And you yeah. start talking about that. I'd love to hear what it's like turning into a grandparent. And totally. all of a sudden there's that purpose. And actually, old mate, um, grandpa has so much wisdom to share into you around that transition into, you know, we talk in the right of passage language, but that eldership phase. So that important. phase into so being a father, Elder and then transition into the facilitator, a mentor into eldership, where I'm stepping out of the doingness and into the into the eldership. Yeah, yeah. And um, and that was quite a. It, it, and then all of a sudden, the whole social fabric shifts. And actually, in our Western culture, we don't really have that same idea. All of a sudden, you get to oh, get a bit of dementia or whatever, yeah, and yeah. oh, you're done. I don't. We'll get you into the facility. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's, it's a real shame. Yeah. And in Switzerland, it's, it's completely different. Like I remember I went there one time and this old guy, I didn't really understand what he truly said in that moment, but I thought about it for a number of years and he goes, this is what most of the Western world misses, but there's so mm. much wisdom. Yeah, and I think, I think guys are crying out for it. We had a guy on our, around a retreat a few, a few weeks ago, the youngest guy there was 21, the oldest guy there was 76. Yeah. And he was the only sort of older guy there and everyone, most, most guys in their 30s and 40s, loved having him there. 76 year old guy. It's just, was a joy to hang out with him and to hear his stories and to hear his experience. And he got so much out of it. But it's, it's I think, rare for us to be in those spaces where we actually get to have those deep yarns mm. with, with older guys and connect across generations. Because they can, 
I think they can see stuff that, that we can't see with, with our sort of you know, lack of experience. So I think it's a really precious relationship that's been really lost in the way we live our lives these mm. days. So, mm. yeah. Well, the awesome thing is that you're in this kind of, you've been, you're also a practitioner in Chinese medicine. Yeah. So how long have you been doing that for? 14 years. 14 now, yeah. years. Yeah. And then you've got this like amazing skill as a facilitator. Yeah. And now it's like a bit of a, you know, that supported you to bring up a family the Chinese medicine, yep. yeah? and now you're kind of at this phase where you're like, oh, I'm actually really my, I'm really enjoying this facilitation yeah, stuff. Big shift. And you know, how many years does it take to train up as a Chinese medicine? Oh, four years. Yeah, yeah four yeah. years. Yeah. And then you've been doing acupuncture at seven. So 18 years ago, I started studying. Yeah, well. It's a while back, and then developing facilitation over the last five years and really transitioning into that's been a really, really big shift for me. And and through that work, I've developed a lot of uh, friendships with older guys like Dr. Arnold Rubenstein, who you know well, and, and other guys who who uh, have been senior guys in that work, and they've been hugely important for me having those connections with with guys who've you know blazed those trails already and, and can really sort of share their wisdom and and. I'm really thankful now to have a number of guys that I can call and say, oh, I'm really struggling with this. Uh, can we chat about this next phase of my career, how to juggle um, work and family, uh, financial stuff. But it's, it's taken a lot of effort to build, uh, to forge those kind of friendships. It's taken a lot of courage to be able to step out and say, hey, can we have a conversation about this? You know? No, it's really interesting you said. So that's come up again with, the, with Neil earlier today is around, you know, friendships necessarily you know, it's like forging new friendships. Yeah. Because you see there's actually could be, for lack of a better word, but there's alignment or you, is it strategic alignment or is it alignment? Well, I don't know if you're thinking foresight, is that strategic or not? Yeah. And then it was interesting how like some people may want to be your friend, but you actually, you've already got my nucleus of friends. Yeah, yeah. And you know, if you're going to pull someone else into that friendship circle, that's potentially going to limit the amount of time you've got to your existing family or existing friend network. Yeah. So it's kind of like this, for like, they call it in the Harvard Business School, they call it the, the trade-off. Yeah. You, you, everything, you don't, don't get more time from nothing unless you're changing something physi physiologically where you may have more energy, sleeping less. Yeah. And all of a sudden people are, oh, I only need sleep four hours a day. <laughs> and then, you know, but that's not true. You need to re rejuvenate. So yeah, it's totally. kind of like this. I want to kind of expand it a little bit because, you know, this whole idea of new friends yep. and like in a phase of your life for, say, when you went through this, you are still a dad. How old's your daughter now? She's my eldest is 17, my youngest is 13. So, yeah. And you look, and how old are you? <laughs> 40, 43. So 43. I started, you know, relatively young by these days standards. Yeah. It's amazing. When I heard that, I was like, oh my God, I thought you were only a couple years older than me in your 30s. Never going to have a 17 year old daughter. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think this idea with friends, because sometimes, you know, we've got friends who support us through different phases and some, you know, um, you know, I've heard this saying, a reason, a season, or a lifetime with, with lovers. Yeah, yeah. That I've had. Yeah. And I don't know if you've got some wisdom around that. Friendships are the same. And, yeah. you know, I think we, I think friendships drift away. Like, we move, we change jobs, we change hobbies, we stop surfing or whatever, and we, we lose friends. But I think a lot of us in modern society, I work a lot with men, and I think blokes are rubbish at it, at finding new friends and, and having the courage to say, oh, hey, do you want to go check out this movie? Or, hey, do you want to go and shoot some hoops? Or, you know come to the beach or whatever, go and do a thing. Like, I think guys really find it hard to find the courage to say, hey, you, you seem like a cool guy, we should, we should hang out. Yeah. It's like it's an awkward thing to say when you get into your <laughs> 30s and, and 40s to, to want to find the courage to, to forge new friendships. But I think it's so essential, yeah. so essential. 
So, and for you, has that been going out on the country? Is like when you hang out new buddies and things yeah, like yeah. that, having well, coffees or yeah. Stuff? Well, a lot of it through through the work we do is is in the country in the, in the bush, and I think. Um, you know, sitting down in these circles and, and long, slow processes and, you know, having a cup of tea for 45 minutes, it makes it a lot easier. But then in between times, a lot of guys, some of the guys I work with live in Melbourne, some of them live in Byron Bay, um, all over. So it's, it, it, it has taken a real sense of, you know, courage and vulnerability for me to, you know, reach out to people, even if it's just sending a text and say, hey, you know, miss you. Like, it seems like a really non-masculine thing to say, hey, miss you, bro. You have to chuck a bro on the end to make it okay, you know? <laughs> <laughs> miss you, bro. Yeah, yeah, miss you, bro. Um, I hope to catch again later on this year. And sometimes mm. all it takes is those little things to stay connected to someone. Yeah. And they'll ring you back and say, oh, been missing you, I really want to chat about this. And all of a sudden we're yarning again. Mm. And so I, I think, it, you know, for me, like I've got a really strong network of friends now, but I didn't five years ago. And I didn't 10 years ago. I had a couple of close friends and then a lot of people drifting away. But um, yeah, make the effort. It's so worth it. Mm. And it, I think making the effort is like being, what, what is that? Being available? Being available, um, being, being diligent. I used to have a reminder in my phone every Monday that said, phone a friend. It would just, <laughs> 10 a.m. every Monday used to pop up and go, oh yeah, 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 gotta make that a thing. So it's actually, I got so wrapped up in family and work. I realized my friendships had kind of dwindled and I hadn't made the time. And I started to make it more of a mm. more of a practice. And like I said, the vulnerability of saying, hey, do you want to hang out? Or or hey, I'm actually struggling. I need I need a bit of a hand with with this or that. Mm. Let's 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 connect. Mm. Come and hang out. Yeah. Yeah. And people love that when you do that. Like yeah. I had a mate once, I was really struggling with my daughter, and he's got a daughter the same age and said, Can we chat about parenting? And he was like, Yeah man, come over. And I texted him afterwards. We ended up, there was four of us sitting around having this beautiful big chat about, you know, kids growing up and all that sort of stuff. I texted him after and I said, thanks so much. That was really important. He goes, that was epic. Let's do it again soon. So I felt like he was doing me this massive favor. Yeah. But, and you know, for, when, when you reach out, other people love that. You know? yeah. I think it's so important. So powerful. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a nice little segue into actually breaking down your iron. Yes, the wheel. So, so this I is checked in today. Yeah. You did it quite quickly. Yeah, I'm feeling good in a lot of those areas and not so good in a couple. Mm. <laughs> well, you've got a good score here. Yeah. You know, it seems like, you know, you're really quite tech, like, uh, no one's done a 10 yet for work. So you're obviously oh, frothing big week. Yeah, yeah. In a good, great way. Oh, 2020 is going to be epic. For Good Blokes Go, for OQD, for the Rights of Passage Institute, for other stuff happening. Got lots of exciting stuff happening there. So really excited for work. And that, that links into my contribution as well because... You know, work for me is about having a positive impact on the world. I've, I've, you know, I've been successful in Chinese medicine over a long period of time and that's paid the mortgage and I just feel like there's more of a way that I can contribute to making the world better by helping blokes to have better conversations. Um, so when work's going well, I feel like my contribution's going well too. Right. So that's LinkedIn for me. Right. Family is good. Family's in a good space. We, we've had our ups and downs. You know, I've got two teenage daughters, you know. It's not all, it's not all smooth sailing. Um, but yeah, things are going really well on, on that front at the moment, which is good. We must attract parents in the school or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always, you know, being a slightly uh, younger dad, you always get those funny sort of comments. Um, family's good, kids are good. Lil's going into year 12 next year. Elka's kicking goals at school, getting along beautifully with my wife at the moment. 
So you just had a beautiful weekend down south with just the two of us, which is a rare chance to sort of reconnect. And so, so you lock that in, calendar, this is something we've got Yeah, it's hard. We, we, we try and do it once a year now. We had years where we didn't, but I think it's really valuable for us as a, as a couple with kids growing up to really connect one among with just the two of us. It's just a really precious time, so mm. that was really nice. Um, family's good, friends good, feel really good in friendship and, and the growth links into the into the work thing as well because like lots of new mm. exciting sort of stuff happening. So, so do you feel a lot of, so you've got one, these are these five here, yeah. do you reckon a lot of them tend to stream off that or would you say they're all, it's quite holistic all of them together or? Yeah, well, certainly, certainly work contribution and growth is where the they're all linked mm -hmm. and then and then family and friends are, are different but but also also going well mm. too that's my that's my kind of support system i've got to dip into the well with family and friends and i can go out into the world and achieve good things through through work the uh the bit the other side though that I'm, i haven't been sleeping well it's actually since it's that last camp in october i got myself out of rhythm and i've been wake the dog's been waking up at 5 30 every morning and i've just I haven't been making sleep a priority and I can't get back to sleep after I wake up and I know there's things that I can do that can get me back on track but because work is so busy and exciting so much growth and stuff so there, then your brain's ticking over early I haven't, I haven't made it a priority and I've got a really busy mind so I haven't been sleeping well so my health hasn't been as good my body like a bit headachey um, a few other things that body niggling I'm, I don't have the energy to go to the gym as much as I as much as I should so then I stay home I'm staring at the computer and you know doing extra work so yeah, I, I, I've got to get on top of that. So what, um, what, what is it with the sleep? Is it the thing that you're, you're actually the adjustment? But 5.30, it's not like super early. What, yeah. Could you afford to just get up at 5.30? Yeah, is I that, could. But, but then that's I'm, what we're doing, Yarakura. But that was yeah, three hours, it was actually yeah. 2.30. I, I'm, I'm someone who needs a good proper chunk of sleep. I can get up at 5.30 if I'm in bed by, by 10. Yeah, that's 9.30, What time are you saying? Why are you staying up later than 10? Oh, just ideas. I've just got ideas and I'm really excited for 2020 uh, and I've got heaps of stuff I'm feeding into I'm like oh I'm just I'm just writing a bit more on that I just uh, I'm just sending that email it's like oh gotta write that idea down um, so yeah just got a bit on the plate I like a good amount of sleep but I'm not getting enough of it so how long's that been like that for you probably October probably what is it November December yeah probably three months of not getting enough sleep and I've got a got off the cliff good proper two weeks off Christmas. Right. 17 days in a row, which is a good break for me. And, and but um, you're an entrepreneur, you're doing your own business. The challenge is to not turn my computer on. Do, do you reckon you won't? I'll struggle for the full two weeks. There'll be, there'll be a bit here and a bit there, but there'll be, there'll be chunks, there'll be chunks from down south of the family. I have a one-on-one -on -one, uh, camping trip with my youngest daughter. Oh. It's our first, fourth annual, uh, you know, daddy-daughter camping trip, just the two of us. We go to her favourite spot, which is the Gracetown Caravan Park. They've got little mini golf. Which one? Gracetown Caravan Park. Oh, wicked. Mini golf, little outdoor picture theatre there. We go to the Young Up Maze. We have a fancy winery lunch. Good, solid connection time. That'll be good. Won't take the phone with me there. Two days? One day? Probably, probably three days down there. Nice. And then another trip with the family, another three days with the family. And then the, the danger is that bit in between Christmas and New Year, whether I'll manage to keep my phone off and keep the... Uh, but on the trail, sometimes it is going to be a bit of downtime when you could. Yeah. But then this is the beauty of I found the right of passage. Like it is actually, you could go off and go off and take yourself to do this because you could justify it, totally could justify yeah, it. Yeah. If someone's reached out, oh, let's catch up with me down south or something like that. Yeah. But then actually on the right of passage, you know, dialogue, it, take, it takes you out of that cocoon. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And as much as you, you like to think, oh, it's not going to affect me, it does. Yeah, yeah. It takes you out of that cocoon. And that rite of passage, this, you know, the transition from 2019 to 2020, yeah. that you're with your family, you've made this commitment. Build a cocoon. Build a bit of, uh, put some eggshells around it and have some, have some good sort of family time. That's the goal. So to try not to get too much work to yeah. bleed into it. But I, got, I do have a lot of ideas. And is that, there's like <laughs> the correlation there with health? Yeah, yeah, so that's, that's the sleep. When I'm not sleeping so well, I feel in my body, my body doesn't feel rested, I don't have energy for the gym, that sort of stuff. So, you so know, waking up a bit sluggish. Yeah, waking up a bit sluggish and, and not feeling 100% in my body and, you know, tiredness. Meditation? I haven't been meditating as often as I should. I still meditate every day. Everyone says but, that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you should do more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You still meditate every day? I meditate every day, but... Is I, it, what's the practice? I don't set a, t- I don't set a, uh, set a time limit to it. So okay. I breathe, you know, my practice is, is it's, it's a little bit crude, I call it being okay with shit. <laughs> I love it. That's, that's the best kind of... Yeah, so it's seeing, it's seeing whatever pops up. I breathe, I relax, whatever pops up, I'm like, yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm a bit hungry, that's okay. My feet are a bit cold, that's okay. I'm a bit anxious, that's okay. I need to call my brother, that's okay. It's, I just practice being okay with shit. Right. And so uh, when I'm really getting into my meditation practice, I do that every night for 10, 15, 20 minutes. Right. Whereas at the moment I'm doing it every night for one, two, three minutes. I still do so it. You still doing it before you go to the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm taking a break. But that's okay. cool. That's a shit. It's okay to be shit. Is yeah. this what you do just before you go to bed? Just before bed, yeah. Right. Which is which is interesting. And a lot of people like to. I, I used to previously set like a 20 minute limit. I go meditate for 20 minutes. So I'm not properly meditating. And then I do it for five days in a row, and then I'd fall off the wagon. And I do it for a week and a half, and I'd fall off the wagon. Mm. Whereas now. I know that I will continue my practice. So I'm yeah. still connected to it. Yeah. I just have to find ways to make it a bit deeper, a bit richer. Yeah, right. It's yeah. interesting. I'm also into micro meditation, you know, because that practice, mm. I can do that in 20 seconds. Yeah. It's obviously not as rewarding as I do it for 50 minutes, but you know, if I'm waiting for an appointment, mm. I, like I was waiting for an appointment this morning, and I just sat there for like three minutes and just breathe. Mm. And do you see that? And do you see that as being a different to like a mindfulness? Well, it's it's sort of my version of it. So there's you know so many different versions of, of mindfulness. Mindfulness for me is just about being present in the moment in whatever I'm doing. So for me, I, I taking my dog for a walk is my mindfulness practice because I'm just walking. I'm not listening. Sometimes I listen to a podcast. Other times I'm just I'm just walking. Mm. There's trees and it's beautiful and the dog's over there and I'm just in that moment. Mm. Um, you know, meditation is kind of one form of mindfulness, but I think there's other ways of doing it. You know, you mm-hmm. can you can bake a cake mindfully, mm-hmm. you can surf mindfully. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is what I, I love when we start having this meditation focus mindfulness kind of dialogue. I think of my, you know, our ancestors, our grandparents. You know, no one told them about meditation on yeah. our Western kind of, you know, European Anglo-Saxon upbringings. No one really did that, but they didn't have all these distractions, phones, emails, notifications, yeah. letters. Yeah. You know, actually they were, they got a task. You sit down, I finish the task, I do the next task. Yeah. And I do the next one. And it's, the, it's I just think it's almost like a stoic philosophy, philosophy, just like, just this focus to get it done. And I like channeling into, imagine like they live great lives. You know, these are the early 20s, like, you know, yeah. there's a lot of tro- tro- um, bad things happening in the world. But, you know, on a focused level, on an individual level, I like to think that actually they're quite focused and mindful. They're not having all these buzzwords around mindfulness or meditation yeah, yeah. Or, or micro meditation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're actually just being present yeah. and being focused on that moment. And I really like, yeah, like, I find that when, you know, we communicate, I'm the only person in the room. 
And I think um, that's an ability that you have as a facilitator because you're aware how you show up influences that experience yeah, yeah. for everyone. And totally. I think that's a real deep facilitation skill is knowing that the energy you bring through does influence the room significantly. Yeah. And if you are, say, with your daughters over this Christmas period and you do have checked your emails, yeah, yeah. that's pulling you out of that cocoon. Totally. And you may miss those those sacred moments, yeah. which can make all the difference. So, and it's really finding ways to be to be back in that moment. Mm. And I think everyone's got practices that help them to be mindful. Mm. They might not call them mindfulness. Like maybe maybe you love uh, going to the gym. Maybe you love you know writing. Maybe mm. you love strumming guitar. Mm. You know, there's a lot of different practices that people have that get you really into that zone. Yeah. Do you want to call it a mindfulness practice? You can if you mm. want. But if it's something that helps you get out of your head and out of that busyness and really connected to the present moment. Yeah. yeah. Surely that's a mindfulness practice. So I guess a lot of the work that you're kind of shifting into, you like Eastern uh, medicine, Chinese medicine, and now really this ancient uh, rite of passage work, mm. it's all quite, you're working with people. Yeah. And it's like the, the um, service industry and sometimes the change that you're creating for people is best shared through long-term change, yeah. but then also these short-term outcomes but really that you're changing a lot of trajectories of a lot of people's life. You're bringing up a lot of shit and they either up to them whether they want to get rid of it yeah, and yeah. move forward and break through to that next phase yeah. of their lives. Yeah. Um, one of the things when I've gone through the Rite of Passage journey and, and with my not-for-profit hat in the service industry hat and community area is that how do you actually truly, you know, this is the challenge where I think community organisations and service industries really kind of are challenged to get consistent resources and funding because how do you quantify the true outcomes yeah. of that work yeah. that you did? The value that you've given to Christchurch Grammar School yeah. on Queensy Drive, yeah, the yeah. impact you've created um, to these uh, good blokes code, yep. this father-son connection that all of a sudden there wasn't really something there and there's a risk of this kid going through adolescence, experimenting with drugs, alcohol, partying, car driving and all of a sudden you know, that is actually having a huge impact on their well-being. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they're not going to all these service provisions and antisocial behaviour. They're actually living a great life, contributing to society. Yeah. And it's, they're two different paths. And yeah, this yeah. work that you're doing, it's, it's hard. So many people can't quantify it because it's, it's, it's not a financial yeah, yeah. measure. Yeah, there's some studies they've been doing at, at Christchurch that are showing there, there are significant uh, statistical shifts in, in well-being which is really, really super positive. Right. Um, the, the, the difficulty with the, particularly with, with smaller groups is like how do you measure it, how often you measure it, over what kind of period of time. Because some of this is, this is big stuff. Like I, I had a boy, a, young, a, a returning young man say to me on a camp recently, he goes, I didn't, I didn't get why I was on this camp until almost two years afterwards. And he, he, he loved it that much that he came back to donate a week of his time so that other young guys could have that experience. Mm. Like, so he, he felt like as a, 17 year old that he got so much out of out of it as a 15 year old that he wanted to come and give back mm. but at the time he thought it was a waste of time yeah. <laughs> so like when do you measure like what the effect is on that kid you know a week after a month after a year after two years after it's it's tricky and so that's that's definitely a challenge we face is being able to to measure the yeah. The, uh, the shift but they're, they're luckily at a school like Christchurch they're doing some they do some regular yeah. well-being studies where they've been able to say actually we've reversed that, that trend often often in that age group well-being drops off around 14, 15, 16, 17 it takes a while to sort of come back up 
can be a tough time for, for teenagers. Mm. And they're, they're seeing statistically, I saw the graph a couple of weeks ago, less of a dip, which is, which is a really big deal. Mm. So, yeah. And I guess um, with that, with my own tip, this is where kind of, you know, ions come into play on a, on a, on a small level and it's an accessible mm. way. If you don't have the resources, like a huge school, like a Christchurch Grammar School, yeah. you have resources to do yeah. this stuff. How do you on your micro level get that, maybe identify some trends? pre-intervention workshop, yeah. uh, post-workshop, and then getting some of that data that you can actually over time see that actually on average people's well-being score is increasing post that intervention and doing it and making it easy. Because yeah. what I found in community groups, it was a lot of organisations uh, that do all the best work, they're not great at the funding applications because yeah. they're focusing on the work, not yeah, really getting yeah. more money. Yeah. And, and then so all of a sudden the groups who end up just being money fundraisers, they're professional fundraising organisations rather than actually service delivery organisations. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden the funds get sucked out and these genuine community organisations don't have any resources, work in oh, the right. and then people get burnt out. Yeah, yeah. And then they can't do the work in the social yeah. fabric, they don't have the infrastructure to support. And then after 10 years of grinding, it just goes down yeah, yeah. and then it's, it's just a gap and then that's how the system yeah. kind of goes so I guess finding better ways to collate this data um, is helpful and I guess in your mind you've always got you've got stories which is really your data yeah, yeah. the changes yeah. you've brought young boys this story the 17 year old yeah, yeah. that qualitative testimonials and and you know uh, qualitative stuff yeah uh, but it's it's yeah I don't have numbers mm. So yeah, that's that's where ION could be incredibly useful. Mm. To be able to measure things before and over a long period, like it's not hard to do a, an ION check-in mm. six months after the fact, 12 mm. months after the fact, mm. down the line. Doing something like that. Yeah, really measurable. So um, what we like doing here, I think you're pretty black and white, it's obvious that you're easy to prove on. <laughs> um, but here, you've got this score, what would you reckon you could focus on any one of, or a couple of these that you could maybe increase by decimal or something that could, that, that it's not going to sacrifice another one too? Yeah, yeah, well, I don't think, I don't think improving my sleep gets in the way of anything else, for sure. Mm. Um, and, and not necessarily about sort of increasing family and friend well-being, but more just sort of being proactive and making, making sure it stays you know in that in that high zone i think i think uh balancing work knowing that work is a 10 it's like well it doesn't need to be a 10 maybe maybe i can back it off a little bit and that allows me a little bit more time to sleep and look after my health and um you know hang out with the family and connect with friends and that sort of stuff so it's it's probably less about growing things and more about finding a little bit of a, a balance taking maybe taking you know 10 percent off the work and, and feeding it into sleeping better do you reckon that that's realistic yeah, totally. What totally. would you do to make that happen? Uh, well, like, like you said, building that cocoon over um, over the uh, the Christmas period. But that really is my challenge now with with working less in the in the Chinese medicine clinic and working more in that space. I'm I'm now at the space where I don't have to be working seven days a week. Like I probably never did have to be working seven days a week, but I kind of I kind of always have. Um, and it's I just an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah look. It's tough and it's, it's a passion and I, and I really, really love it and I've got so many ideas and so much energy for it and I want to keep creating it but I know how important my family is and I've got a 13 and a 17 year old, they're, they're only going to be at home for so much longer. My 17 year old is the kind of kid who's going to move out as soon as she can 
So I just want to enjoy the, the precious last dive that I have with her of my life. Mm. So to, to really make it a priority. Sundays is, I start at Sundays. So I, what I've been doing recently is like just putting my phone away and putting, trying not to touch my computer all day Sunday. If I can. Perfect. Be kind to myself when I transgress. Well, I look forward to doing another Ayan Yan on this wheel. Yeah, and yeah. seeing that increase. Totally. But there's nothing, 10 can stay there. Yeah, yeah. But um, these ones can easily go for that. I think I, can, I think I can keep work at a 10 without having to spend a million hours a week on work. And step into that. Yeah. It's almost like that trans, it's, it, it's, it's almost, I don't know what we call it, it's not eldership in work, but it's kind of, um, what are they taught? That, uh, have you heard, read the book, um, The Way of the Superior Man? I know of the book, I haven't read it. It kind of talks about all these different phases yeah, into, yeah. from being a prince to a knight to, to a king. Yeah. To, and then that last one was like an emperor. Yeah, yeah. And the emperor you don't really go, but it's being a king of your domain. Mm. You know that you know, once that gets to a certain point and it's stuck there, you actually won't ever go down. It yeah. won't because you've actually got your kingdom. You've created your kingdom and you don't need it. You can't regress. Yeah. You just, it stays there because um, you've already got your kingdom. It's protected. You've already got your, um, all the security of it and it doesn't go down. I like so it. It's, I, I see that in elders sometimes who work on camps and, and that ability to sit back and it's like, do I really need to say something here and I'll, I'll watch guys sort of just wait and they, they'll drop something here and they'll drop something there rather than, you know, I tend to be a lot more active. So yeah, there's certainly, there's certainly a lesson in that for me, learning to, learning to step back and, and allow and, and trust I think is huge. We accidentally forgot your quote. Yeah, yeah. We, you did throw a lot of quotes. I thought, oh, that was your quote. You just said... I got lots of quotes. Great. So the, my, one of my favourite ones is the, the uh, anthropologist Jared Diamond wrote a book called The World Until Yesterday. It's about, you know, things we can learn from traditional societies. And he talks about... There's one quote in there where he says that for 99% of human history, throughout human evolution, we've lived in small groups of less than 150 people. That's it. But what that tells me is that, wow, how we're living our lives now, whether you live in a big city or whether you live quite isolated on a farm or somewhere in between, you're probably not living the kind of life that we are built for. We're built to live in communities. And that is what I love about ION, that ability to, to reconnect us in this hectic, fast-paced, busy world. Like, it's, for me, it's a way of rebuilding a sense of community. I think that lack of community explains a lot of what's got, you know, what we're struggling with in the world, that the lack of our ability to have a really healthy political sort of debate, the lack of our ability to look after our elders, a lot of these sort of problems. It's like, you know, we just need to rekindle a sense of community. Mm. I think Ion can be a great tool for that. 150 people for 90% of our... Yeah, most 99% of human 99%, evolution, yeah. we've lived in small groups. So you would live your life, just, you would know 150 people and that, those were the people you interacted with throughout your life. You would know them. Like you needed to fix your spear, you know who to talk to. You know, <laughs> you got a problem with your leg, you know who to talk to. You can't find enough food for dinner, you know who to talk to, you know. I think that was a perfect quote. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. There you go. Good luck, Good chats, man. Thanks, Jan. Good job. Great, Jan. All right.